Okay, everybody. So this is the full episode, including my conversation with Sona. If you did catch the early version of this episode and you've already heard the recap, just jump ahead about 26 minutes. That's where the new conversation begins. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, the season finale of Severance, The We We Are. Before we get into it, remember to subscribe to this feed so you know when new episodes are available. We continue to cover Moon Knight on Disney+, and our second review recap episode just dropped a couple days back. And Sohan and I will be discussing Better Call Saul, just having a wide-ranging conversation catching up on that show. Which, by the way, just so everybody knows, the most recent season before this one, which is about to begin, season five, is now fully available on Netflix. So if you haven't watched it or want to rewatch it, it's easily available to catch up on. And you have almost two weeks to catch up on it. So enough time to get to rewatch that most recent season, which I will probably be doing as well. If you'd like to support us, give us a review or recommend this to your friends and family. And this is my hot take. I have literally, just moments ago, finished watching the most recent episode, the finale. But I will be having a conversation most likely tomorrow with Sona. So do come back later to get that conversation as well. One last thing I wanted to mention before we get into the episode. As many of you probably saw, if you have Apple devices, you probably noticed that there was like a dossier, a leaked document supposedly, that's available in your eBooks if you go into your Apple books, that was the manual from Macrodata refinement and explains what some of those numbers represent and how they're harvested still doesn't really explain what they're doing overall but there are some clues in the resignation letter this angry letter we see it's a very very long letter by the way <laughs> like pages and pages and pages but if you do read through it some interesting things emerge there first of all we find out that peggy who had been referenced in the show who had been retired supposedly retired naturally had quit because she had just finished, had gotten to 100% refinement, and then shortly thereafter, there had been a accident. A bomb, I think, went off at a competitor's business. And she felt that there was some connection between the refinement, this macrodata refinement, and this terroristic attack. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. You know, she may have just been thinking about the coincidence of it. But a couple of things that I find interesting is that this is a decision that the Audi is making versus the Innie, because the Audi is the one who's hearing about this explosion. So how is she aware of the Innies completing that task at the time that this event is happening outside? So it's interesting that there would be some shared information between those two. So I'm not sure how that works. So that's the first thing they found interesting. The second thing that's much more interesting and much less ambiguous is the fact that she died shortly thereafter in a car accident, just like Mark's wife. So the whole car accident motif is interesting. How does that tie into their way of disposing of these bodies? You know, are these fiery car crashes and they can hide a corpse in the wreckage? Or are these people who are supposedly, they fake a car accident and say they're brain damaged because of the car accident, but they're not. They're basically just turned off because of a severance-like procedure. And then they can take the bodies after they're declared dead at the hospital. This is all speculation on my part, but it's a theory that they could be harvesting these supposedly brain-dead folks. And they could just be propping them up in the car. You know, roll the car down the hill, put the person inside there. Oh, they're in a coma, and they're in lullaby mode or something. So those are a couple of things that I think might pay off later on in the show. I honestly thought they would be something that would pay off in this episode, but that does not seem to be the case. You'll be all right for the speech. For my speech, yeah. Of course. Do you remember when I brought home the first chip to show you? The prototype. It had the blue and green lights back then. Yeah. I remember you said to me, it's so pretty, Daddy. Everybody in the whole world should get one. They will. Because of you. They'll all be cares children. 
So with that out of the way, the episode begins after that incredible cliffhanger last week. We jump directly to that same moment. Dylan has pulled the trigger, and we see literally all three of our Audis that are about to be swapped out for the innies. And first we are with Mark, literally in embrace with Cobell. And as I had speculated last week, he has a strange reaction. He says, oh, no, I'm okay. So he does a pretty good job of playing this off. He knows something's not quite right. And I guess he had his guard up just in case maybe something would be weird on the outside. He doesn't know what he's going to be in for. So he does a pretty good job of getting away from Cobell slash Selvig. But she knows something is wrong. She just won't let it go, which is kind of her personality in general on this show. But she definitely gets some strange vibes from him, but can't quite place it. We cut to Irving, and he is in the middle of painting. He sees that he's once again painting again and again this hallway, the entranceway to the testing floor. Once again, still no explanation in this episode as to how he would have even seen that locale within Lumen. Meanwhile, Heli, they notify her that she's on in 20. And pretty quickly, she realizes that she is Helena Egan. As I had speculated, she's undercover boss. She's gone inside to have this severance procedure done. True believer that she is. And you can only imagine how shocking this is to our poor Heli. She runs into Gabby, the mother that we saw at the birthing center with Devin and Natalie, who we've seen before, who is the surrogate for the board in all those conversations with Cobell. Meanwhile, poor Dylan has not thought this out well, <laughs> did not bring a cable or some lanyard or something to, to, to grab onto these switches and is struggling, struggling to hold these levers open. And to his credit, he keeps them open for quite a long time, the length of the entire episode, pretty much. There's some funny interactions here where Mark is trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what is happening at this event. <laughs> he sees his sister, Devin, arrives or, or approaches him with the baby in, in tow. And he uh, says, so how's our baby doing? <laughs> so it confuses her for his, potentially his wife. And he's still trying to, you know, this is all very interesting stuff, trying to keep himself from getting too, from being identified. And this is very tense, obviously. You can only imagine the situation. Then we jump into, interestingly, the decision made here by the director, Ben Stiller, once again directing, that we're in Irving's POV. So we're actually seeing him, his hands holding the paint, holding the brushes near the canvas. He hears the dog. He goes and checks the dog, whose name is Radar, we find out. He intuitively starts to investigate the apartment and discovers war memorabilia, medals of honor, and a footlocker that's full of naval uniforms and a photograph. I'm not sure if that was him when he was younger, or maybe this is his dad's stuff. So I'm a little confused on that. Drop me an email if you have more clarity on what we're seeing there. Need some introduction at gmail.com. But I believe that he is, has a has it in his family, but he himself was also a naval officer. Mark is trying to get one-on-one time with Devin, meanwhile. But the event's about to start. There's just too much going on, and he can't get his bearings. And this is very dizzying. We see Rickon's book event happening, and we see Helly's being chatted up. Wow, three kids. Couldn't have done it without a little help. <laughs> I mean, the idea that people would want to outlaw severance. How terrible that you have to actually go through the rough parts of your life as well as the fun parts. God forbid. There's an interesting piece of dialogue here where they say, ask Kelly how she's going to do that night and how great it is what she's done going undercover as a, a ninny, to which Helly says that she's going to try to change some minds if she can. But that might mean something different than they expect. Her dad is there. We're curious to see her dad, of course. Very confusing to know what time frame, once again, the question we've had multiple times here, what time frame are we actually working in? We do see a very old car later, a car from the 70s, I believe, late 70s. And Cobell's car is probably some, like a rabbit from the 80s. Was that a rabbit or an Omni? Something like that. Or a Golf? <laughs> Does anyone, can anyone identify this car? But Rickon has a smartphone. Not identifiable as an iPhone. Maybe this is an alternate universe where Lumen, this is the Lumen smartphone. But all the technology seems a little funky here and all the details here, technological details seem anachronistic. Regardless, he does have a smartphone. So we're talking to 2010s. This might even be modern times, which is funny to consider where we were placing this thing in the early 80s, early on in this run of this show. Dylan, meanwhile, poor Dylan, we just cut back to him desperately trying to hold that Jesus Christ pose as long as he possibly can. Mark realizes that he is at a book, uh, a book event with Rickon. And this is very <laughs> interesting because, of course, we know that Rickon has been transformative, literally, to these innies. And Rickon first thinks that when he's being very complimentary, Mark is being very complimentary, that he thinks that he is joshing him, that he's basically 
making fun of him. I mean, the book is brilliant. Okay, Mark, thank you. You don't have to say that. I'm well aware of how I come across to you. What? No, I mean it. The, your book, it, it opened up the world for me. Mark, are you okay? Yes. This book changed my whole life. You actually read it? Wiccan, are we friends? I know I sometimes make you feel less than for having had the procedure. And I regret that. You had to deal with Gemma's passing in the way that was best for you. You know, I was scrolling through old pictures this morning and I found one of the four of us on the crest hike. You remember the funny bees? Do you have that on you, picture? Sure, I should. And Rickon almost, almost shows him a picture of him and his wife, but is taken away because the neti pot is warm, <laughs> ready to uh, rinse his nose and throat for the continuation of his reading. There's a really great scene where Heli is surrounded by all this happy, any propaganda. And I can only imagine at this moment how much she must really, really hate her Audi. <laughs> I mean, this is as offensive as it could possibly be, considering what she's going through, to see this video of this decision she's making to have this procedure done and laughing about it and she was thinks about how cruelly she was treated by this Audi this other persona of hers and how they want to impose this on even more people it's it's uh, a shocking turn of events and, and like I said I was really sympathetic towards Heli at this moment and I'm thinking boy <laughs> I would really be hating that Audi right now so one of the things you learn growing up as an Egan is that the workers are our family and I remember being confused about that as a kid because I thought that meant I had a few hundred thousand literal brothers and sisters scattered around the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. But as I grew older, I learned that it's about shared ideals. Um, my dad used to make me recite the nine core principles before bed every night, which I can't say I always did happily. Sorry, Dad. But those are not the values that I share with everyone who works at food. And that's what makes them my family. And I would never Uh, look, my dad would love for me to sit here and say that I'm taking this job out of loyalty. And then it was the spirit of here Egan calling me to service. But I took a separate job because it sounds freaking awesome. So no, I don't think severance divides us. I think it brings us together. I love the tagline here in the video. United in severance. What an irony that is. That's right out of 1984. Meanwhile, back at the reading, Mark is still trying to get one-on-one -on -one time with his sister, and Selvig just won't let it go. Cobell just won't let it go. She knows something is up, and she keeps testing him. It keeps testing him. Oh, tell me more about that. When when we were hugging, you got tense, and you're still tense now. And can you? And she's just suspicious. There's just something rubbing her the wrong way. Maybe I mean, obviously, she interacts with that other version of Mark, so maybe she just is picking up on something. But then, boy, my my heart jumped into my throat. He excuses himself and he calls her Miss Cobell. And that is like, oh my God. The one thing I hadn't, it's just right there in plain sight. And I had not expected it, that that would be where he would screw it up by calling her the wrong name. Finally, Mark gets his sister alone and his sister hands the baby over to Cobell. Selvig, as she knows her. And I'm again like, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot believe what is happening right now. Then just moments later, we see Cobell racing in the car, racing to the office, and we're thinking, where's the baby? Where's the baby? Is the baby in that car with her? She's driving like a maniac. She's desperately trying to get Milchik, who will not answer the phone, probably he's being told not to talk to her, considering she just got fired. And then this is another mystery that we'll have to expand on, I guess, in season two. By the way, the show has been renewed for season two, just announced this week. Thank God, considering where this show lands, by the way, we'll get to it. But we see that Irv's Audi has been investigating. He has a list of documents it looks like legal documents or perhaps leaked documents that have a list of the severed employees some of them have addresses when he pulls out a map that's with the same document we see that the names that have addresses including Bert's very importantly have been mapped out and here's another question I have here is how precise this severing process works that there is some understanding of how the outside work world works they understand how maps work they understand how to drive or, or I mean, he is not a great driver from what we see momentarily, but he understands how the mechanism of driving works. So there's some element of memory of understanding, at least conceptually how these things are. So 
I don't know if you could be this specific with a, if this was real technology. So maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but it is an interesting uh, thought experiment to think, how would you actually be able to sever personal memories, personal histories, but not practical information about the outside world? Because they don't know historical events about the outside world either, but yet they would know how to drive or at least understand that this is how you drive a car. Because I mean, if you are truly tabla rasa, you wouldn't know how to open the door. Like you, this would be like a, a, a newborn trying to drive a car. <laughs> you would be confused as to the concept of it, right? Now, Heli, at this point, is getting ready. She's about to speak. She's looking at herself in the mirror. She starts freaking out, as you could imagine. And then her dad comes in. This whole conversation they have is pretty fascinating. She plays her cards right, obviously, but she could run away screaming or something. But and I can only imagine, once again, I cannot, I should say, cannot imagine how you would react in this circumstance being confronted with this person who has to be in your mind like the biggest villain you can imagine but having to pretend like you have this intimacy with them and what amazing acting here by the way just a terror behind her eyes and still trying to project this confidence that she does natively project well you know she's like a ceo she's a, a, the, the potentially next the next figurehead of the company so she needs to project that but that fear still inside of her as well I cried in my bed when they told me what she tried to do to you. What that any tried to do, I... Thank you for going through with it. The grandfather would cherish what you've done. And one day, you will sit with me at my revolving. He mentions that he wants her to be there for his revolving. So what is a revolving? Does this have something to do with this procedure? And also mentions that his the grandfather would be so proud of her. He also inadvertently stings her with one of his comments saying that now everyone will accept this procedure because of her. That she, because she went under the knife, because she had this procedure done to herself, she has made this acceptable to the public at large. They will because of you. And then we have an incredible sequence where she says the lines, looks at herself in the mirror after her dad's left, and says those words that she says in the break room, the forgive me speech. Forgive me for the harm I have caused this world. Not may atone for my actions, but me. And only in me shall there stay to have this dialogue recontextualized here as she is blaming herself honestly for this thing that she's done to everybody this is when we see Irv in the car he figures out which car is probably his based on the logos on the keychain it's from the 70s I mean I think we had a car like this <laughs> back in the day he knows how to drive once again not sure how that works and by the time we cut back to Mark and Devin we realize that he has laid it all out on the line he has explained to her during this break in the reading what's been happening, that he is the innie. I just want to know why. Why he put me in there. He lost his wife. You lost your wife. A little before you started at Lumen. Gemma. Mm -hmm. It was a car accident. And at first, you try to keep teaching. I was a teacher? A professor of history. You try to go back to teaching three weeks after she died. It was a disaster. She was just still in your veins, you know, making everything hurt. Which is why I guess you thought a severed job would... He hoped you'd be spared from the pain. a nice name, Gemma. Hmm. Yeah. We were all really close. It was great. She was wonderful. She made you wonderful. Devin, to her credit, starts coming up with a plan. Like She says, you're not messing with me. Okay, I'll believe you. And then she starts to adapt pretty quickly, coming up with a plan with who would you reach out to? How would we get this information out there? How would we 
get this to the broader world so someone would believe us. The police might not work, right? They might not be able to go up against a big corporation and actually get the ability of getting inside of there, but maybe a journalist. Meanwhile, Cobell finally gets in touch with Milchik, tells him what's happening. And of course, Milchik immediately starts sprinting towards the security room. And then in passing, Mark goes, you know the weirdest thing? Why is Harmony Cobell? Why is my boss here? Which, of course, immediately terrifies Devin. Where is my baby? And that's what I'm thinking, too. Where is that baby? Everything's culminating at the same time. Irv has found Bert's home. Then we have a very menacing and simultaneously very funny <laughs> interaction where Milchik has gotten to the, secu- to the security office. But, of course, we've seen that Dylan has used his belt to tie the, the door handles together. And Milchik starts to slowly cut his way through the belt and making all these promises to Dylan. I can still get you back in there. I can get you any perk you want, Dylan. Hey, there's stuff you don't even know about. There's, there's paintball. There's coffee cozies. Dylan, come on. Just say the word and I'll get you a coffee cozy literally right now, Dylan. Come on, man. I want to remember my fucking kid being born. You have two others. I can tell you about them. Just open the door and I'll tell you their names. Come on, Dylan. Dylan? (laughs) I'll get you a coffee cozy right now. What I want is to be able to remember the birth of my child. And some more cruelty here, intentional or not. Milchik says, you have three kids. I can tell you all about them. You just have to let me in. But Dylan will not give in. He's committed. Meanwhile, Cobell arrives at the event. (laughs) It just leaves the car running, by the way. It says rolling down the street. (laughs) The valets are chasing the car down (laughs) as it rolls away. Helly's just about to walk out on stage, moments away. And then I believe it's Natalie who inadvertently wounds wounds Helly once again by saying, hey, use that line about how your innie is like your sister. Once again, I cannot imagine the innie Helly having any affection at all (laughs) for the Audi Helly at this point. We see that Bert is indeed, I guess he really did retire. It looks like they're packing up and getting ready to go. He does have someone with him. And poor Irv is sitting there, his eyes welling up. What was he thinking coming here? Of course, Audi Bert has a whole completely different life. Doesn't know any Irving at all. Back at the party, everyone's in a complete panic looking for the baby. And luckily, thank goodness, the baby is there. I really did feel even earlier in the season that the baby was going to be a pawn in this whole thing. I found your child is another funny quote here from the show, because if it was a a contest that he won. Mark, meanwhile, at that moment, sees a photo on the shelf, a wedding photo, and realizes that Miss Casey is his wife. Helly's just about to go out on stage, and uh, Cobell intercepts her. It is you, isn't it? I'm going to kill your company. Your company? No, your friends are gonna suffer. Mark will suffer. You'll be long gone, but we will keep them alive in pain. You're on. You get to walk away. They don't. And then she walks out on stage, and here's the culmination point of the whole entire episode and the whole entire season. Irv cannot walk away walks up to Bert's door, pounding on the door, yelling, Bert. Simultaneously, Helly has walked out on stage and begins to say they're being tortured, they're being tormented down there. They hate being down there. And everybody in the audience at first starts to laugh. They think this is a joke. But then they realize it's for real. And Natalie grabs her off the stage. Irv is still pounding at that door. Mark is running, running towards Devin with the picture in his hands and yells out, she's alive. And just at that moment... Milchik has finally cut his way through the belt and has tackled Dylan to the ground. My name is Helly R. I'm an innie. And everything they told you about severance is a lie. Dylan! No, no, no. Listen, we're not happy. We're miserable. They torture us down there. Devin, please. We're prisoners. She's alive. The 
switch goes the other way. And that is the end of the show. You thought last week was a cliffhanger. You get an even bigger cliffhanger this week. And you got to wait a whole year or more. Who knows? <laughs> to find out what happens next. Whew. All right. So what do I have to say about all this? A few things. I loved everything here in this episode. Uh, I feel kind of like I felt at the end of Yellow Jackets in the fact that this is a better show, I think, than Yellow Jackets, by the way, although I did also like Yellow Jackets very much. And my criticism here is that this is probably the best episode of this show we've seen. It's excellent. But man, what a cliffhanger. To leave us on a cliffhanger, thank goodness there's a second season coming because <laughs> I cannot imagine this being like a one season wonder, one of those shows that builds up you know, reputation over time. Remember that show that ended on that giant cliffhanger? Like, thank goodness that's not the, the situation we have. But still, I, uh, there probably was, you know, there definitely was not enough runway to tie up all these lo loose ends for sure. But I feel like they, there was too little that was answered here. But I did love everything they showed us. And I'm very, very curious to see what happens in the next season. I do hope that there is more resolution as the next season progresses. But there's so many interesting directions this show can go in. So I'm, you know, totally on board with seeing a second season of this. Oh, another example. So I'll tell you of this, by the way, is Loki. Loki was another truly excellent show from last year. Definitely checked out, check out my recap episodes. But that also left us on this very strange place where the stakes have completely changed. We're in a different situation and you just got to hang in there for season two, whenever that comes. <laughs> and like Loki and this show, that it could be over a year. I mean, heck, we had to wait four years for an Atlanta season which is just back now, by the way, very good show. And now Barry's coming back. I think it's that one's three years since we've seen Barry and what another huge cliffhanger there. So <laughs> I just hope that, and of course the pandemic has made these gaps huge, but I do hope that this doesn't become a pattern that you get hooked on a show and then you just got to wait for next season to find out anything else that, you know, like I said, we have yellow jackets, we have Loki, now we have this show, just all examples of shows that end to some regard uh, on cliffhangers, all of them. Oh, and Barry, of course. So maybe this is just the way TV shows are nowadays, but ending on a cliffhanger. By the way, we're about to start covering Better Call Saul, and that show, as excellent as it was, also ended on a huge cliffhanger. <laughs> All right, one strange occurrence here, and I'd love to see an explanation of this in the next season, is why is there such lax security at this locale? I had speculated in just the last episode that it's probably so lax because this project is, has been almost been like forgotten. Maybe it is something that, you know, the equipment is so old and it's just, it seems like maybe this is just something that had already been a legacy project there at Lumen. But seeing this celebration here, this seems to be a big deal, a very big deal for Lumen itself. And yet they seem to be so lax. It really seems like security is very lacking. So tomorrow I'll be having my conversation with Sona and do come back and check, check for the additional content. You'll see a longer runtime. I'll put in the title that it's a repost and you could jump ahead about half an hour to get to my conversation with Sona and I'll talk to you then. All right. So I just confirmed off mic <laughs> that Sona has watched the episode, <laughs> which would be useful for this conversation. Yes. I'm not just here to chat about how our day has gone so far. <laughs> exactly. Which has been most meetings for me so far. So I did publish the recap last night. So I just want to kind of get into a conversation over this very eventful episode. Mm -hmm. So where did you land on it? Main takeaways, what did you like? What did you dislike? How do you feel about the season overall? Okay, so my big question is, and it's a production type one, not really about the substance. Did they know they were going to get a season two when they filmed this finale? I was curious about some of the behind the scenes stuff. So this was pitched as two seasons. Okay. But the renewal was announced last week because as we've seen in our listenership, the show really has only taken off in the past two, three weeks. So, you know, where things land at the end, it would have been very funny if this was one of those one hit wonders. Like, you know, there's some shows like Terriers, by the way, anybody out there, I think it's still available on Netflix, an incredible one season show, Terriers. And, uh, you know, it's one of those shows that like over time, everybody goes, oh my God, that show was so great. They should have brought it back. And it, <laughs> but could you imagine this show having only one season? Well, that's like, what I'm saying is that if they wrote it this way without knowing they were getting a renewal, I think that's kind of infuriating <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, because while I did love this episode, there was a lot that was great about it. I would be very frustrated at the idea that people were willing to leave it with this giant cliffhanger. I find it kind of fascinating that I guess this is something that 
honestly, I don't love when you leave everything open at the end of the season, but apparently people like this. And not only do people like this, this is the way things are now. I brought up examples of things I've covered here. Loki literally ends on this giant cliffhanger. You're like, oh my God, what happens next? And it says to be continued. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And uh, we saw it with Yellow Jackets, right? Another huge cliffhanger at the end of that show. And I'm like, is this just how they do things now? They just like basically write stuff hoping that there's a second season. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if that- Yeah, right. Like that's what I'm saying. Like from a production or storytelling, I I'm not sure I'm using the right terms. But from a, from a storytelling perspective, it's a very frustrating thing to do to your viewers, I feel. And I think it's going to happen more and more. Uh, this show was pitched from that perspective as two seasons. And the mm -hmm. show that's on right now, by the way, which I'm not going to recommend yet because I, I will probably do more of a deep dive on Apple Plus. There's a British spy show called Slow Horses, which has just come out uh, with like a very prestigious cast. That show has been pitched as two seasons. They've already started production on the second season, and I have not seen the whole thing, but I'm assuming that they have a cliffhanger at the end of that show too. And, you know, but to your point, this is maybe the way these things are being pitched now. Also, Yellow Jackets is another example. That was, they picked it up from one season, but the pitch was always multiple seasons. So mm -hmm. maybe this is the way things are. And obviously I brought up Loki as an example. That show <laughs> was obviously pitched that way because they didn't resolve that at all. <laughs> and now we got to wait two years for another season. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I feel about that, generally speaking. But I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, not that, you know, I think it's fine to have some cliffhangers. They gave us more than they had to, I yeah. guess. Mm -hmm. You know, it could have been a much more tense moment that it cut off, but it's still pretty freaking tense. It is. <laughs> so, <laughs> another question I have that is still not resolved. What is going on technology-wise in this town? I still don't have an answer <laughs> yes, to that. Yes, I feel exactly the same way. Right? They're, they're all driving the old-style cars. There's the occasional smartphone, but Irving's got a paper map that he's yep. marking up. Uh, I just, I can't, I, I thought there would be some insight into why things are the way they are in this fictional town. Are we just supposed to accept it as atmospheric? I totally agree that it's intentionally being obtuse that way, that you're absolutely 100% correct. Irving's driving a car from the 1970s in this episode. I'm pretty sure that's a Golf, or you know, it's supposed to look like okay. a Golf, uh, Miss, Helle, Miss uh, Selvig's car. And that's like a car from the 80s. And like we said, we saw with the computer graphics and things, this looks like it's maybe from the 90s. And I was still setting this like in the 90s, and maybe this is a rundown corporate town, like the Bausch and Lomb uh, area mm -hmm. up in upstate New York, where everything's kind of a little out of date, you know, like it hasn't mm -hmm. been booming in, in decades. And maybe, you know, if you had uh, corporate uh, facilities up there, all the machinery, all the computers are still 20, 30 years out of date. So that kind of makes sense. And then, like you said, we see Rickon explicitly pull out a phone. It does not look like an iPhone, by the way, but it is a smartphone with a ring app on it. And I'm like, oh, right. wait, wait a second. So this is what? This is five years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago. I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> Yeah. And again, all of this fine if there is some explanation for it, but is there? Because not even a single hint, right? Explaining what is going on technology wise exactly. for these people. Yeah. Uh, also, on that note, I thought it was very uh, funny in a tongue in cheek way that at that severance convention or whatever you want to call it, everything seemed to be in that Apple font. Did you notice that? Yeah. That's another good example. <laughs> that event. It's almost like we're tra time traveling within the show itself. It starts off with people's hairstyles and clothing and, and the background and the technology. Looks like we could be even in the 80s. And absolutely, by the time we get to that event, that looks completely contemporary. Like those giant completely. screens, those yes. giant screens, like she has this giant face, high definition images of her face that she's walking through. That would not even be possible 10 years ago. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. <laughs> Very confusing. Yeah. So what the heck? Yeah. Uh, so those are some questions that, <laughs> yes. I had that have nothing to do really with the substance of the episode, but uh, just lingering uh, things that I'm pondering about. <laughs> uh, also on that list, I think that uh, all of those photographs of Heli, there were so many. I know yeah. Miltrick often shows up with a camera. Maybe we don't see him taking all these candids or are they just randomly uh, hidden cameras that are taking photos of her? I don't know. There were a you know, lot of pictures of Heli. You know what? I thought it was surveillance of all the her coworkers as well. But then I think you're absolutely right because we do see Milchik with the camera multiple times. It probably is just Milchik, you know, roaming around. You assume that he's not only taking pictures that one time we see. Maybe he's in right. there every day, snapping photos of everybody. Right. You know, part of a 
so yeah, I think that's probably the case because if they just had like security cameras, like how high resolution are these security cameras that no one notices Fair them point. and they're everywhere, right? They got close-ups of people. <laughs> it's like everywhere. Security. I don't know. Questions. So those are my, my general queries. I mean, I did enjoy this episode quite a bit. Certainly a lot happened. I was really interested in particular in what was going to happen with Mark when he snapped into his inside self while hugging Patricia Arquette. Uh, yes. So that was very satisfying for me to see. And he actually dealt with it better than I would have, I think. Yeah, he did a great <laughs> job. I, I, he was like very well prepped for whatever was coming because that would be quite a shocking so <laughs> revelation. To not know where you are yet, your coworker is still there. So. Can, you for, can you imagine for a moment, he's like, I either didn't step off the elevator, but I'm somehow in my any life again, maybe, or I'm like married to this woman. Like, what, what do you think is <laughs> like, I'm married to Miss Cobell? What, what yeah. And uh, I think there was a lot of good stuff, uh, great stuff with that storyline, actually, I guess, like, let's just maybe think about it as one character story at a time. Yeah. I thought he did a great job of, you know, working through some deductive reasoning where, you know, this is our baby. Our baby. <laughs> and, and his sister going in the way that it takes a village, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was great seeing him try and figure out what exactly is going on with the structure, why he is, where he is, who anybody is. I thought it was great how he was kind of starstruck being in the same place as Rickon and realizing yes. that he was hearing you know, this person that he reveres, this author that he reveres through a reading of his book, I thought was very cute. He says, you opened my world, <laughs> which is true. Yes. And of course, Rickon is like, enough with the sarcasm. I know exactly. All right. All right. So... Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Don't rub it in. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was great. Uh, I thought it was great how you just saw him, you know, trying to fulfill the mission of talking to someone he trusts about what is going on? And he's just getting foiled at every turn, especially by this baby, which you and I have both been <laughs> yes. there. Of mm -hmm. Like, could I just complete a thought, please, without exactly. this child interrupting me? So that to me rang very true as something that would happen. And I have to say, when he finally does refer to Patricia Arquette by her inside name. Oh my God. My that, heart dropped, you know? Literally, same thing with me, exactly. I mean, you know, to get that much drama out of simply saying yes. somebody's name and going, you know, oh crap, he's exposed himself. So, I mean, I thought all of that was so well done. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, that I thought it was like a magic trick. My heart just jumped into my throat when that happened. Yours went mm -hmm. down, my, mine went up, yours went down. <laughs> but, but, but it was uh, incredible because once again, just appreciating the, the craft, that it's something that's in plain sight, you know, something that could mess him up that's in plain sight the whole entire time. And I didn't even think about it. I'm like, he's probably pretty safe. He's going to go talk to Devin. He's got his this figured out. And then he just says, Miss Cobell. And I'm like, oh my God, how did I not, how did I not see that? Mm-hmm. And that she puts it together immediately. immediately. And is well, she's very loyal. suspicious already, right? She's super suspicious. Right. She knows something. The vibes are off, as right. I say, right? <laughs> but, uh, but she is still a company woman, even after yeah. all that's yeah. happened. Yeah. Which is it's interesting. Such a, it's such a pivot for her, too, because she literally is coming from a point of saying, like, you know, she smashes up her shrine to Kier mm -hmm. and she's telling Mark, walk away, walk away. Like, that's the best thing you could do. And then she's right back. It's like as if she sees a little light. She knows that she can get back in. This will get her back into the good graces. And that's it. Everything else is gone. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of stress, though, related to what had happened to the baby that I'm not sure was. Necessary. Oh, my God. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Uh, because I also was kind of like, well, why would she take the baby with her? I mean, I, I some kind of leverage for the future. I mean, we've already seen how much trouble a baby is. Why would she? <laughs> right. And then just the practicality of like, she's not got a car seat. Where does she put the baby? But cars are not <laughs> equipped to install a car seat, I don't think. So <laughs> they probably don't even have seatbelts in the back. It's so, possible. <laughs> there was some real drama for me in, oh my gosh, when is he going to see the photo of his wife? Oh my God, yes. Mm -hmm you know, coming so close a couple of times and are, is Dylan going to release that lever before he can figure out what's going yep. on with his wife? Yep. So a lot of tension there that I really enjoyed. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, very stressful. I also thought that the uh, to, to move over to Heli, what she was going through, mm -hmm. that was pretty shocking too. That for her to find out, like at like we kind of speculated multiple times that this is undercover boss situation and she's going to be yes. the heir apparent to this uh, this world. For me, the highlight of the episode was that moment when her dad comes in and says, now everyone's going to have one of these chips in their heads and it's all because of you. And then she looks at herself in the mirror and she does the 
you know, she does that speech they do in the break room and she means it. This mm-hmm. time, right? Like, I'm sorry for mm-hmm. what I've done. Right. And it's just like, it's so gutting. That whole situation is crazy. And even then I still felt some tension about when she actually gets out of there in front, gets out there in front of all these people. Yep. Is she going to be able to go through with it? Right. Because you know what they're expecting of you and how crazy for her to find herself in this situation of oh, realizing, so <laughs> yeah, not only who she is, but that this person has knowingly submitted to the severance as some type of marketing, apparently. Yep. So, yep. Um, I mean, that's a lot to process too. And I wasn't sure if she's gonna be able to get out there in front of all those people expecting her to give this pro severance speech and say what she said. So I was very impressed that the character actually went through with it. And I also thought they handled it very interestingly when she starts to say, I'm Heli R and I'm an Innie and we're being tortured down there. And the audience's reaction is to laugh like she's doing like as like a little bit of stand up or something, mm-hmm. which is I thought was a genius uh, move because that is exactly what people would do. They're like, ah, she's making a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, she's like, no, this is real. And then they, they immediately yank her away. And that's that whole final moment where we see uh, Irv, which we haven't talked about that much. But, you know, we see him pounding at the door for Bert, which uh, I don't think it's the right thing to do in that situation, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when he's going to flip awake and these people are going to come to the door and be like, who are you? And he's like, I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) But more interestingly with Irv, at least more interestingly to me, is that he seems, yes. 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 Huge investigation. He's he's made a lot of uh, headway so far in the investigation, it seems like. He's got a lot figured out. So what is going on with the outside version? Is he trying to dismantle Lumen from the inside somehow and trying to connect his outside and inside version so that they can do that or or what? What's interesting about that, I totally agree, is that he obviously has been doing some investigation. He has either, it's, it looks like legal documents, but also it just seems to have everybody who's been severed in the past. He's found some of their addresses and he's marked them off on the map. But he seems to not have anything going on with uh, Ragabi. He probably could have had the procedure done at this point if that if she was involved somehow. So it seems like he's doing this on his own. And of course, there's that big mystery is how does he know the testing floor hallway? How does he know what that looks like? Theoretically, you only go there and you don't come out. It's like the Roach Motel. Right, <laughs> right. So many questions about what Irv is up to. Yeah, he kind of emerged towards the end when he kind of turned had made that pivot at the end of the uh, the show, you know, whatever is happening on the outside is going to be way more developed in the next uh, season, I would assume. Yes. And really interesting too, just the idea of like, he had not considered that Christopher Walken's character, Bert, could have a whole other life on the outside that inside Christopher Walken did not know about. Of course, (laughs) like everybody. And it, and it seems almost deceitful, right? Somehow, right. but but truly, they just don't know what's going yeah. on in the other part of their lives. Exactly. Irv could have uh, come out uh, on the other side, and he could have been married to somebody before all he knew. <laughs> like he's he. It's not like uh, Bert did anything to hurt him. It just uh, exactly like said, just completely ignorant, right? Right. He just has no clue. So yeah, like very interesting there as well. I think to know he has some bigger agenda than what we have been shown yeah. until yesterday. And that, you know, my first thought when you say that is exactly that, that this was part of this Ragabi group and that he has been doing this investigation and says, well, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go and go inside because theoretically then he can unify his personas and, you know, all the secrets will be out. But then why has that happened? Like, I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. been there apparently for a very long time. So there's no reason he couldn't have done that by now. <laughs> a couple of things that made me laugh a, a few times here, but one of them was, I like the, when Cobell shows up and she jumps out of her car and lets the car roll away. <laughs> the valets are like chasing it down. <laughs> oh my gosh, I miss that. <laughs> it's just rolling away and they're like running after the car. And she just runs up the stairs. <laughs> I totally miss that. That's hysterical. <laughs> and the other thing that made me laugh was when Milchik is trying to cut through the belt. Yeah. And he's trying to get Dylan to release the switches. And he says, there are perks you don't even know about. He goes, we have coffee cozies. I'll get you a coffee cozy right now. Right now. (laughs) Cozy right now. That's the big bribe. (laughs) And I actually thought Dylan should say, yeah, go get it. Because it was going to buy him another couple minutes. Bring it back. And Milchick would would not have gone for that, obviously. That that does get menacing, though, when he basically says, I want to know, I want to remember my son being born. And he goes, you have three kids. I can tell you about them. I'm like, yeah, that's quite a gut punch. Yes, it really was. 
And at the same time, I wondered if it was even true or not. Oh, good point. Good point. But I give Dylan credit for somehow being able to hold those levers down because he made it longer than I thought he would, holy even cow. without Miltek's <laughs> interference. What's that? I said, holy cow, the episode's 40 minutes long. And I was thinking the same thing. Like I could not hold those switches. My fingers yeah. would be, I'd be just from a sweat. I'd probably release them at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Even with no Miltek, I think it was, <laughs> right. it was a physical challenge. I give him credit. I mean, there were several times during the episode that I thought he's going to let go. There's no way they can make it through more happening. You know, he's already been holding them for so long. He did not plan ahead with a couple of lanyards. That's what I was thinking them too, together. that the belt was holding the door, but the right. belt could have helped him hold the lever. And maybe he could have found some furniture or something to push in front of the door. Yeah. Not well-designed. They, mm. they should have planned that a little bit better. The, the, you know, especially yeah. considering that he's not that tall, so he can't really barely stretch himself right. across to grab those levers. Yeah. I don't think I understood that they needed to be held the entire time. I thought you had to activate them at the same time, but then right. you could walk away. Yeah. So I didn't, I had not understood that they literally need to be constantly having pressure applied during this time. In a way that makes sense. It's like certain systems work that way also when you basically don't want this thing to be left on, right? So mm -hmm. you know, it basically forces you to like when you're getting like a, a scan or something where you have to hold the lever the entire time. Like so yeah. you can just, you know, an emergency as soon as you release, right? But mm -hmm. uh, which makes sense, but it's also interesting. Like you said, some of those protocols seem like they are long-term. So, you know, you would figure those right. could, could work a, a different way. Maybe if they'd known better, <laughs> like if they'd known there's a permanent switch, they could have just turned that one on permanently. And then <laughs> but then they wouldn't know how to disable it. And now we hold another can of worms. Right? So, that's the other fascinating thing about the show is now we're at a moment, like, where do they go now? Can, can Lumen let these folks, like they probably want to terminate these innies, right? That's the safest thing they can do. Oh, but speaking I, of termination, I was relieved to see that Bert was alive because I did have a question about that. Sorry, just to circle back to that for a second. Oh, and you should be, by the way, I did read the rest of that document, that that ebook that came out. And in the uh -huh. letter, they talk about how um, Patricia, I think her name was, which was one of their macro data refinement people, had retired, just like Bird had, like legitimately retired. And then she died a couple of weeks later in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And that, by the way, and then I came up with a theory saying, like, I had originally said, maybe the car accident is like you can have a fiery crash and kill the bodies. But what I hadn't thought about is, imagine this instead. Imagine you could put the person to sleep and like roll their you know, mm -hmm. car down a hill and then just put the body inside and be like, they're in a coma, but they're not, right? They're just turned off, right? Because of the, the, the procedure. Right? Mm -hmm. So so that could be another way where they could potentially be using the this technology to get rid of people. Yikes. Then they have to make the bodies disappear, obviously, once they supposedly are terminated in the hospital. But I mean, I'm sure that's relatively easy to do. That's how I would do it. <laughs> 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 So I'm thinking like, obviously the innies are coming back. How can you let these people still be out there? Uh, sounds, seems really problematic. So I don't know how they're going to do that in the next season. But I also wonder like that the moment after this show ends, the very next episode, we have, you know, Irv pounding on that door and they'll, I'm sure they'll come to the door and answer it and be like, what do you want? And they're like, I don't know who you mm -hmm. are. And of course you yeah. don't know either because the switch has, has flipped. Then you have the person who's best off in this circumstance because he has so many people around him and has laid everything out is uh, Mark, right? Because Mark theoretically now knows that his wife is alive. He's gotten that information from the Innie. The sister now got the full download of what's happening from Innie Mark. And theoretically, he could just like choose to not go back. I have a feeling, by the way, the most obvious thing to do here is that he's going to go see Ragabi, get his personas merged, and then go back to work, right? And now he's a double agent, like Petey was, going back and forth, right? And now he can freely communicate with the outside world. I think that's the most obvious direction for the show to go into. But once again, why would they not terminate these people? <laughs> I would not let them back inside. Yeah, and if I was yeah. Mark, if I was Mark, they'd be like, look, no, no harm, no foul. You just have to go back to work. I would not go in. I'm like, no, no, no. What's up an idiot again? Yeah. <laughs> I may never come out of there. You know? So yeah. And Helen uh, or Helena, as she's, she's Helena, yes. is uh, in a relatively safe space too, because obviously they're not going to kill her. <laughs> so that's uh, right. That's true. <laughs> very bad PR, if nothing else. <laughs> the thing that's stuck in my craw wasn't even about the technology, which is weird, but I kind of accept that because it's not the first time a show's done this type of thing. I think I called it out already, but there's a show called Maniac on Netflix that kind of did the similar thing where it's all retro looking, but it's obviously they're much more technologically advanced than we are, but they everybody kind of uses their technologies much low tech, much more low tech. So it's not uncommon to see this type of thing in shows. So I'm not surprised. The thing I have bigger questions about is 
<laughs> the security at Lumen. I'm like, this is terrible security. I've been complaining about this all season long that they, this is such a skeleton crew. And I was like, well, if this is like an abandoned project that some crazy person has been trying to get off the ground, it kind of makes sense that this thing is like so badly run. But apparently this is a very big deal for the company. And I'm like, and you leave like two people in charge of all this? <laughs> Seems pretty dead. And you fired one of them? <laughs> yeah, that's been an ongoing theme throughout the season. Maybe it's just hubris, right? Maybe they just believe that technology works so well that they think they can leave it unregulated, but seems sketchy. <laughs> seems like a, a, a gap in logic. <laughs> All right. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is when I watch shows like this, I think to myself, like, what is this show about? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of theories. One is something I've touched on already. It's like, you know, about the personas we put on when we're with different people, when we're at different contexts, and then what happens if there's no accountability between those personas, right? Like how divergent can they be and how much trouble can they create? But another thing I thought about as well is it's about, um, you know, power dynamics as well, right? You can think about Heli on the outside basically has a slave, has somebody who has to do whatever she says, and they really are not allowed to complain because they're basically just lucky to even have a job, right? Like, you know, we mm-hmm. used to hear that all the time, right? Where it's just like, what are they complaining about? Why are they joining a union? They're lucky to even have a job. It's like kind of the Bob Grant way of thinking that when I, my dad used to watch, listen to like conservative radio back when I was younger. And that wow, was basically- my like, mom did that too. Is that an immigrant thing or is it a life stage thing? I don't know. But... It could be an immigrant thing because I know how hard it yeah. is to get jobs back in the day and back at that time. Hmm. And I do wonder about that power dynamic, you know, in the end have to be servile because you have to perform that you're happy for this person who has the power. And that could be, you know, in the service industry, it could be someone who's rich. And in this circumstance, I mean, it's even more pronounced because you literally can be turned off, snuffed out if you don't get in line. Right. And when Mm -hmm. I say snuffed out, I don't even mean like killed in an artificial car accident. I mean, snuffed out in like, if they just say an innie, if she doesn't come back, that person is gone, right? Like Bert's innie is gone. So it's, uh, you know, you basically exist only to serve somebody else. And I think that is an interesting power dynamic, especially when they're imposing it on themselves. Mm-hmm. So it becomes ironic in a way that you are saying, well, I'm only doing this to myself, but as soon as basically you take this show and you say, let's make these two different people, this is basically slavery, right? But it mm-hmm. somehow is acceptable because they have done this to themselves, their own bodies, mm-hmm. but not necessarily their own selves. It's a, you know, it's a separate self. I haven't given this all that much thought, but sitting here thinking about it now and kind of referencing other things we've discussed, there are some interesting questions regarding the autonomy of your own body and what it is ethical to allow and what is not ethical. In a few different contexts, the idea that Mark decided to opt into this as a way to avoid feeling the pain of losing his wife I think a lot of us have experienced things that are so painful in our lives that we wish there was a way just to avoid it, right? Like even something can be so upsetting that it's impossible to sleep. And then maybe you finally do fall asleep, but then those first moments where you wake up and it all comes back to you is just the worst, right? When you have forgotten about this really awful thing that's going on in your life and then you wake up and reality hits you again. And it just, ah, that sinking feeling of that. I feel like everybody has experienced that or- Or even worse, if you dream about the thing that you're trying to get away from, (laughs) which also has happened to me many, many times, you know, so I think that's an interesting idea of being able to really just shut it off for eight hours. You don't have any idea that this terribly painful thing exists uh, on an emotional level. And then also the idea that you could do it on a physical level, which we talked about um, and they, you know, they talked about last night for the pain of giving birth or- Some other, you know, terrible physical thing that you have to go through, like, you know, maybe it could be some terrible medical procedures. I don't know. But, you know, you can see the attractiveness of that, right? Right, right. (laughs) Of saying like, well, here's this thing that's going to make you feel just awful and you don't have to experience it. You can opt out of that. Kind of like a very, very high level pain medication type thing. Um, And it's a w- different type of anesthesia in a way of, you know, you're just out. You have no idea what was happening to you because it's not an amount of physical pain that a human being should be expected to bear. Our society has decided. So uh, interesting questions there, I think. Yeah. I mean, you're saying that makes me think about what I was saying before and something new at the same time that exactly like you said, what happens when you cut off or you're, you give yourself the luxury of not having to feel those things you don't want to feel? And then what does it make to the remainder of you, that not having that downside to your consequences, does it make you you no callous or does it make you 
you know, cruel in a way, right? Because you like the luxury of this. And you also think about in the world today, the outsourcing we do, for example, of like, I don't care if my sneakers are made by children because right. they're cheaper than they used to be. And I didn't have to see it happen. If I had to watch a seven-year-old exactly. make my iPhone, I might exactly. not want the iPhone anymore. Exactly. And that's the, the big one. That's the, the key point there is what's happening here is that since it's happening inside of a box or in our world, it's happening overseas or somewhere else, then I don't see it. Therefore, I only have the upside of it. And it just makes us blind to what we don't see, basically, obviously, like anybody. Yeah, it makes it very easy to rationalize a lot of things away when they're not right in your face and you're not having that firsthand experience. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so very interesting things and a very entertaining show. And I am very excited for season two. And I hope it doesn't take like a whole year, maybe because of the pandemic, I'm hoping that there is like a shortage, <laughs> a shortage of content. And then they'll, they'll, so they'll be coming one right after the other. <laughs> Listen, the finale left me needing to know what was going to happen next. So I give them credit for that. So my recommendation for you that I think you would like, there's so many things coming out this month and something totally was not on my radar at all, but I watched it only because Christopher Walken was in it. And I'm like, I'll oh watch, I'll watch <laughs> one episode of this just to see. And the whole thing's available all at once. I've only watched two episodes, but I'm going to recommend it to you for a very specific reason. It's called The Outlaws. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Okay. It's on the Amazon, it's on Amazon Prime. It's written and directed and co-stars Stephen Merchant, a very tall, gangly dude who basically yes, came up with I Jimmy. Know. He came up with uh, Ricky Gervais and they wrote yes. and created The Office together. And yes. they basically did all the Gervais shows together. But I recently, know you, mean now. you know who he is. Yeah. He's very yeah. distinctive looking. If you've ever yes. seen him, he's also extremely tall. He's got branched off on his own and he did a show on HBO Max or HBO, I should say, called Hello Ladies, which I never watched, but had pretty decent reviews. And now he's written, directed, and like I said, co-stars in this and what it is about is a bunch of folks, like six or seven of them, I think, main cast members that have committed some petty crimes in London. This is outside London. They come from all different walks of life. And there basically is a program where they do you know, work uh, rather than go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't find out everybody's stories right away, but each episode introduces us to somebody's backstory at the beginning, like how they ended up in this circumstance. And the main star of this show is this actress, I've never seen her before, a young actress. She's half Bangladeshi, half Polish. In the show, she is, but I don't know what her actual ethnicity <laughs> is, but she may be Bangladeshi for all I know. So she has a Bangladeshi mom and she has a Polish dad, uh, both immigrants and both very strict in the show. And basically she is headed towards Oxford. She's you know, uh, an A student uh, across the board, obviously. And it turns out that she's also a kleptomaniac and she gets caught once. And when the cops show up, she has socked away thousands and thousands of dollars worth of expensive clothes and purses and jewelry all over the house, because this is the way she rebels, because she's always such a good girl, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, first of all, the first episode of the show made me laugh so much. I laughed out loud multiple times, something I don't normally do, but this was marketed as a comedy slash thriller. And I'm like, I don't know when you're watching this show and laughing every five minutes, I don't know how this thing pivots into a thriller. Mm -hmm. And I've only watched the first two episodes. And what I'll say is the both of these two episodes, the endings, the last five, 10 minutes of both episodes with completely different stakes had me, my heart racing. Really? And yes. Basically, what's so amazing is that, especially with season episode two, where they kind of reset things and things go in a very funny and jovial situation again. The stakes at the end of, uh, of episode two get so high that I literally am thinking like I'm playing out all the ways this could play out. And I'm like, oh my God, for this thing to play out, there's like five or six different scenarios I see here. In any case, one of these people ends up dead. And I'm like, this is very grim <laughs> for a supposed comedy that this is where Yikes. we're at. You know? So it is very funny. But like I said, in the background, this thriller plot that's developing, I'm like, wow, how do they get out of this, this situation? It's impossible. And it's uh, so I'm very interested in it and aired on the BBC last year, actually. And now it's available on Amazon Prime. The whole thing's available. I just haven't had time to watch it all. There's only six episodes. They're an hour each, but it's only six of them. So you can binge it if you want to, or maybe during spring break, if you have time. And not <laughs> only that, funny. and okay. not only that, they, yeah, right. That's There's more work when the kids are home. Than when they're not. <laughs> oh, and the last thing I wanted to bring up on it is that it has already been renewed for a season two. And because it aired last year in the BBC, uh, on BBC, season two is coming in like a few months. So here you go. That if you're looking for something that's uh, like, we don't have to wait a year, year and a half. It's on, mm -hmm. The second season's already on the way because of the delay in, in the release to Amazon. So, And is this included in the Prime subscription or are you expected to pay extra for it? 
Oh, no, no. This is free with Amazon okay. Prime streaming. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I don't want to be clear about that. I assume everybody has an Amazon Prime account, but you it's all free. It's all free. Okay, great. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I think, like I said, I can't vouch for the whole thing. I don't know if it lands uh, perfectly, but I love the first two episodes. I was so mm. riveted, you know, I, I, I laughing the whole way. And then, like I said, especially with this episode one, I felt like this is the pilot situation. They set up the stakes there, but now it's just going to go back into being comedy. And then at the end of episode two, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> things just got way more complicated. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And I love the characters. Uh, Christopher Walken, by the way, is like a American dad who's like a total flake used to be a con man he's trying to patch things up with his daughter and his grandson and he's a total you know screw up like a selfish bastard basically and but he's trying to make his amends now late in life and uh, he's he gives a good performance as well but it's you know it's a secondary role it's not the, the main focus of the show but he's very good there as well unlike uh severance he's going very walking <laughs> getting a lot of walking <laughs> he's turned up to 10 in this one <laughs> okay thanks for the warning on that <laughs> but in, 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 in an entertaining way he's not like um, in a malicious mode at all he's just a okay. you know, he's just as goofy <laughs> dancing and you know over enunciating all his words like basically oh, okay, he then. could just he could just basically be talking to his grandson about picking up a girl and the way he says his dialogue makes you laugh just to, just the way he decides to punctuate okay. himself <laughs> like when he's a little bit of a nicholas cage in this performance <laughs> gotcha <laughs> that's all i got oh and uh, for everybody out there we will start to cover better call saul it's about 10 days away it is available the most recent season available on netflix i'm going to probably try to rewatch that if possible <laughs> before the season comes up. I don't know if that's possible considering how much other stuff is out there. Really? All right. So we will plan sometime this week to start that conversation about Better Call Saul, get ourselves caught up on what has happened up until now, and think about what the stakes are for the next season, which, I mean, the final season. So cannot wait for this final yes. season of the show. Oh, and by the way, only two episodes have been released to critics, only two. So we get those two episodes on Monday the 18th when the show premieres, you know, unanimous praise, of course, for those first two episodes. So looking forward to that. For sure. All right. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.